listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. I was just talking to Bracken before we hopped on with you saying, I mean, some guests we interview, I like don't really know their backstory. I know some of it, but there's bits and pieces. And you're a guy that I don't know much about at all, like previous to the last couple of years, kind of paying attention to you. So I'm very curious to dive into things with you today. And I don't know if you have a little ginger tendency. I can't quite tell the color of your beard, but I'm digging it. And so I think we're going to connect, DJ. It's a little, we got a little red beard going on here. And the hair is obviously, you know, all natural as well, uh-huh. a little red. Well, where are you coming to us from right now? Are you in the uh, the Altitude House? Yeah, yeah. I'm at the Ultra House, Durango, Colorado. There it is. Yeah. This place is quickly becoming a place. It is. It is evolving, right? So it was like that. I know you talked to, to Anthony. Uh, that might have been last year, right? Or maybe a little bit longer than that. Time kind of moves pretty quick. But, uh, a while back, yeah. Yeah. So he had the little brainchild of, of opening his door and letting people come in. Josh Reed came out, made a visit. Um, he was coaching me at the time, and, and he had said, hey, man, like, if, if you want to give this thing a whirl, come on out, test the waters, see how you see how you enjoy the, the house itself. And, and that's exactly what I did before WTM in 2021. I liked it. It was very inviting you know it's a, it's a place that is uh that is tailored towards what we're trying to do out here as endurance athletes so i made i made the jump and decided to, to dive back in it's kind of turning itself into to a team as of right now i'd like to say which is really really exciting how many people are out there now full-time okay so it's me anthony josh abby and those are the people directly in the house as of right now. We got a couple people um, like in town, and then so that would be Will, Kelly, and yeah, no, that's it right now. So we got we got six really solid good ones. Oh, we got we had uh, somebody move in two days ago. His name's Dak. He coming from uh, Amarillo, so we're up to seven. Yeah, are you suddenly the biggest one location team in the sport? suddenly i'd like to say suddenly yeah i think so like we kind of i don't know if it was really much of anything in regards to a team about a year ago but but since then yeah we've we've built pretty quickly and and we've come together here so i mean hard to say i'm not sure what other teams are out there but we're growing we're growing fast anywhere you go there are team houses in endurance sports and currently there isn't there was a there was that for a bit hunter had his in durango and heat for a summer at a time, but it was it was seasonal. There was almost that. We had a uh, an apartment condo set up in Colorado Springs. A few of us were there. I think we had four at one time, but we were all in different units. I think this is the closest we've seen in the hybrid slash OCR space to an actual training house that is not just seasonal. And it's really cool because I think it makes it lends legitimacy to the sport. Yeah, um, I think that was a surprise on Anthony's end too, right? Like obstacle course racing and hybrid stuff has kind of <laughs> taken over without his knowing, right? Like he's he's more of a pure road runner. He dipped his toes into OCR last year. His big mistake was hanging out with Hunter McIntyre for that week. And then everybody thought Anthony was OCR friendly <laughs> and look what happened. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it was Josh. Josh started it. And then, yeah, so I think he's really the only pure 
runner over here right now him and abby i guess i'll say but everybody else is doing a little bit of something else so i have this episode is about you dj of course but i have a lot of questions about this setup there um so i'm gonna ask them okay so you guys are give us the specs because we've referred i know you've listened to our other podcast race brain and we were make we had commented on wtm the preview show and the results and we gave you a lot of pats on the back and rightfully so we had a good time chatting about who was going to do best in the ultra house and who wasn't and all that stuff and and so we've developed like this curiosity about what's really going on over there so that's why i'm curious so give us the specs so there's four of you living in how big of a house do you have your own bedroom what elevation are you living at i have a number of bullet point questions i need to know okay so it is a three bedroom trailer i think it's 1300 square feet um so actually abby and josh primarily live out in josh's bus Mm. that's parked outside um so and then so me and my girlfriend we got a bedroom anthony's got his room and then we've got what has been dubbed the monk bunk on the other side. So it's two bunk beds. Um, so four beds in there and then there's a pullout couch in the front, right? But like the pullout couch is currently unoccupied. That's, that's some communal space. Um, yeah. So Durango, Colorado, I think we're at 6,750 feet, give or take a few, but yeah. So, I mean, we all have our own space and then there's a lot of, of shared space going on as well. And that communal space is, you know, it's the kitchen, it's the saunas, it's, it's the treadmill, the red mill set up and all of our, our workout equipment. we got kettlebells floating around and a hex bar and all sorts of bands and, you know, all the little, the little tidbits. Yeah. That's, that sounds, that sounds awesome. What about outside the trailer? I'm curious about the grounds. Yeah. So, um, we're in a trailer park, right? So if you walk outside, it's just, mm-hmm. we're surrounded by other trailers, right? But if, if you go onto the road 204, you can look outside. we got Animus Mountain sitting right across the street. Um, you know, and I think that, that you can get up to like just over, over 8K on that one. And then if you go two miles up the road, we're, we're two miles from the Durango side of the Colorado trailhead, right? So that's the big trail that goes oh, okay. from Denver to Colorado. And then beyond that, you got you got endless trails with the San Juans and everything. So if you go out, take a left out of our, our driveway, infinite trail access. If you take a right, you get into town. You know, we're, we're two miles from town also. So anything, you know, stores and, and everything that that entails. And then, you know, go a little bit past that. And again, some more infinite trail access. And if you hop on 550, you got the million dollar highway. You can head up north. We're, we're 50 miles from Silverton you know, another 20 miles from your So we're right in the middle of a lot of, a lot of beautiful terrain. Yeah. Beautiful country out here. Yeah. This week I've been on the treadmill almost all winter in this okay. week. So I'm just burning through running videos. And this week I was watching, I was on a hard rock kick and I haven't really, I've never spent time in the San Juans myself. I lived in Colorado for three years, but we were straight Rockies. How would you describe the difference of training in the San Juans versus like the, like the classic Colorado Rockies? I don't know the difference, right? This is my first Colorado experience. Okay. Yeah. I dove right into the San Juans. So you've not done that at all before this? No, I'm from upstate New York. I've been here since March of 2022. Yeah. This is my first introduction to, to Colorado. Almost the year anniversary. Wow. Yeah. We're getting close. Um, but I didn't do much. Like I, when I was you know, on the front range, I, I, I hear everybody call it right. I like checked out the incline mm-hmm. from the bottom and I, I took 
Oh no, no, I, I did the incline and then did the little trail down. But that that was it. That's that's been my Colorado experience so far. Got to make my way out a little farther north. For two summers in college, me and three other teammates went out and lived in a town called Grand Lake, Colorado. Altitude trained for three months. We got summer jobs. We, uh, my buddies all worked at a grocery store, stocking shelves and doing checkout. I worked at a kid's day camp and we worked like jobs where we had to leave the house. Um, and it worked for us. We basically came home with the same amount of money we left with, but we had an experience for three months and we got to run in the mountains. It was amazing. Still, I'd do it over again 10 times. But then I like fast forward to like being like in quotes, an adult and moving out to a small town without like a lot of like work options or like, how do you make, well, I guess winning WTM helps the bottom line, but what I'm getting at is I went out there for experience, not to like set up a life because I still have my parents kind of helping out and all of that. So are you guys all working from home? Do you go into town and have jobs? Like what's that setup like? That's one of my big questions. Yeah. Most of us here are doing some sort of remote work. Um, Like we all have, a little bit of, of coaching that we currently do. So I, I have a few athletes that I'm coaching, mostly tailored towards world's toughest motor after that last performance. But uh, yeah, so everybody here is, we're doing everything we can to focus on, on sport, right? And that means training ourselves and educating ourselves, right? And then as you take the role as coach, that gives you just one more aspect to like just make sure that this is this is the main focus. I, I've been coaching for a few, a few years now I started I had I had a sales job in New York decided that wasn't for me was not into it started to get my education through NASA and got certified worked in a gym for you know almost two years and then slowly started to dip my my toes into into the endurance coaching waters online so that is now that's now my full-time gig out here I'm just coaching online and, and training myself very nice yeah it's experience based I mean that's I came out here for the experience in a sense, right? Like I knew that I just wanted to fully embrace my, you know, you get, you get one shot, right? So this, this was my opportunity to do it. So that's, I came out here for similar reasons, but I knew I was, I knew I was going to stick around. Now I didn't have a, a three month time cap. As I told everybody back home, I'm like, like when you, when you're going to, you know, you're going out, you're 29 years old, you're going to be an endurance athlete. Good for you. When you're coming home. Right. And I'm like, indefinitely, right. I'll, we'll see. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, play with this thing as long as i can well clearly it's working Mm -hmm. itself out kind of nicely here so um i'd say things are going well on your end i wanted to know about the um the home dynamic of like your days like we think of training camps where everybody gets up kind of on the same schedule we gear our training together we lace up our shoes at the same time we get out and grind together is that what's going on there in the ultra house like or is it everybody's on different schedules doing their own thing are you guys like a unit quite often we're a unit we do a lot of group runs together right but as we have slightly different goals that we actually try to achieve right we do we, you know we diverge we, we mm. separate a little bit and, and then get back together but we spend a lot of time together most of the time we're all getting up right around the same time i'd say within an hour of each other we get in we're all drinking our, our morning coffee and doing the sauna and a little bit of cold exposure a little light mobility and then it's like all right you know 10 30 shoes on i'm going out anybody come in and then we normally all i'll get together and head out the door together most mornings and then you know it's it's two days around here for the most part um a little situational obviously you understand that but yeah it's like our morning runs are normally 
normally pretty tight knit. So it's good. We're, we're a team. Hmm. Yeah. We rock together. So when I moved out to Colorado, I did it for three years. Same thing. Went all in because I wanted to see what I could hit, but I was chasing the Spartan national series and they were hitting altitude and they were hitting mountains. And so Colorado made a lot of sense for me. If I was looking at world's toughest, I don't know where I would choose. There are a lot of places you could, but you don't find water, mud, humidity to some extent where you are. So I, I kind of want to hear you break down why you chose Dur- or Did you choose Durango because of the people, because of the location, or was it just a mix of both? It was a mix of both. I'd say more weighted towards the people though, right? So I had, it, it gave me the opportunity to actually take this thing full time without these like massive financial stressors. So that was, that was my, my initial foot in the door. Um, and then the team developed, right. And I think it's actually, it's been a good place for world's toughest, right? Like, so I guess at least where I currently am in, in my athletic development, world's toughest, you're running a lot of slow miles. Um, you just need a really good aerobic base. That's what I've been doing for a very long time. I'm out here. You'll, you'll catch me running, you know, nine minute pace on a great day. And quite often you'll catch me running 12 minute miles out here on even in the roads. But yeah. So, I mean, I also, you mentioned like humidity. I've got, I've got a lifetime of that from upstate New York. Um, I have yet to see if, if your humidity gains fade. Right. But at more Alabama, I didn't, I didn't get to find that out either. It wasn't, it was a little humid, but the cold dropped. So, um, I think as of right now, it's a great place for world's toughest. Right. Um, yeah, it's obviously it, it worked out so far, so I can't I can't say anything against it. The counter to that, then, okay. if you were to set up your own world's toughest training house, and these boys here were going to follow you wherever you went, you know your your team was coming with you, guys, girls, both. If you could set up in one location specifically for world's toughest, where would you set up? Hard to say. I don't know if I'd go anywhere. I've, I've literally been in New York my entire life and now I've been here, right? I, I don't really know if anything else would be more conducive to, to a better world's toughest performance. I say come here. I like it. It's working well. It sounds like you're in the right spot then. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you got you got altitude. It gets cold. It's hot in the summer. It's sunshine, you know, most days out of the year. Yeah. I don't, it's hard to beat as of right now. I'm coming from, I've seen overcast five month winters for, you know, 29 years. And I think mm-hmm. the sunshine is, uh, it's a, it's very helpful also. And like I said, I don't have perspective on too many other places. So this is the best between the two options. We, um, we're really bad at introducing people on this podcast. Uh, DJ, I'm going to, I'm going to work on it with you right now. And then I got a question. So um, just, I'm sure you already know this if you're listening, but we're talking to DJ Fox, uh, WTM champion this last year. Um, Well, this, this year, well, this last year, whatever. Um, And I described you when we were talking about uh, WTM before and after, kind of like the working man's champion. That's knowing nothing about you, right? Uh, As like a human being. Meaning like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or if my assumptions are correct, because I'm not sure. So it was like, DJ doesn't have these flashy accolades being like, 
you know, these shiny little objects of like, this is my best 5K time to throw at you, or here's my 10 mile, or I used to run half marathons on the road. You don't have any trail championships or OCR elite series high-end accolades and all these other things, yet you have this X factor that I'm hoping we dig at today, which just makes you more badass than everybody else who towed the line at WTM. And and there's like this big mystery, not mystery, but like I'm very drawn to you for that reason. Like a guy that on paper should be run circles around. I'm speaking, you know, loosely about this. Yet you go out and smash them when it comes to being gritty and enduring. And I just find that so alluring. Now, you can correct me and say, no, actually, I'm, I ran 420 in college or high school. I don't know. I don't know your background. We're going to get to it. But would you say that's somewhat accurate or am I off base there? No, that's it's pretty spot on. Um, I'm, de- I'm not very fast. I have not been doing this a long time. I don't have a running background. Um, yeah, I just put my head down. I get to work. And when it comes down to, I think, in World's Toughest in particular, like my greatest asset is that uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm probably one of the most stubborn people out there, right? Naive enough to start and stubborn enough to finish. So, yeah. Well, well, a follow-up question would be this then, would be, so you were living in the Ultra House at the time of WTM, which happened this fall, and you were living with Joshua Reed, um, Anthony Kunkel. Was there three or four of you who raced? I believe it was three of you. The th- Three of us. Three of you. And just for perspective, if we were to set all three of you on a track and say, go run a 10K, where would you finish out of all three of you? Dead last. Easily. How about a marathon? Dead last. I think I think Josh would, would sneak ahead of me by a couple minutes there. So I've never run an, a, a true road marathon, though, so we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> well, the point I'm getting at is even though the people that you sleep a wall apart from who supposedly on paper would make sense to go and beat you or win this race, you smashed as well. And I don't know, Bracken, about you, but I think we could we could attack that from so many angles, and I want to. I don't know if you want to start there, if you want to go back and get some background and then get into the nitty-gritty of what DJ's done recently. Well, I want the background. I think the background is going to illuminate a bit about this, but I also want to start by... <sighs> Not I, I, not necessarily an apology. I want to know. I said something about you uh, afterwards, toughest on a podcast, and I I, w- I didn't know how you'd take it because I said something that I meant as a compliment, but could be very easily seen as a slight. And I basically said that you are the guy that should give everyone else hope that they can win a world championship because you you didn't bring a on paper running metric to the race that thousands of other people don't currently have in the sport alone, let alone across the nation, across the world. And that if you can do it, we all should at least have the hope that we could show up and do it. Not that any, that most of us could do what you did, but that we can't identify anything metric wise that you have. And the rest of us don't. I said, if, if he can do it, I should at least have, it should sustain me in training that I can go in. Even though I know I am not made for world's toughest. And I would probably, have a very very subpar showing but on paper i can do what you can do and that that should give everyone hope that chase the dream because why not and i 
Afterwards, I thought, man, did that just cut him off at the knees or was it the compliment I intended? And now I have you in front of me, so I'm going to ask. Yeah, I mean, I heard it both ways, right? <laughs> um, it, it doesn't offend me at all. Uh, yeah, because I think I am a picture of the fact that, like, you can do it if you put the work in, right? And you really want to get it done, but that's mm-hmm. the that's the caveat. You got to put the work in. You got to want to get it done. And then, you know, only one person can win on the day, so... You, you gotta be, you gotta be uh, more willing than I on the day. Also, in an event like World's Toughest, right? So, yeah, but yeah, I think so. I'd love to say that you could look at me and say, "Oh, <clears throat> I could do what he did," but now come out and do it. Yeah. That's the only. That's the other side. No, you'd smash us, DJ. We know that. <laughs> yeah, the the caveat is that everyone gets to the point where they don't want to be there anymore, <laughs> and as soon as everyone's tired of being out there, as soon as it's not fun that's where that X factor comes into play. But I also said a few weeks ago that I was using Ryan Atkins as an example, that if you took every endurance sport athlete world champion and line them up on the spectrum, he'd be closest to the slowest end of five K's compared to all the runners, all the triathletes, all the cycle, everything like that. He would be considered a slower runner. If you took every world champion from the past three years of all endurance running based sports. And again, it was meant as a compliment to him to look how crazy adaptable his engine is that he could be considered slow footed compared to all the other world champs, but he's still a world champ. And then you pop up on the screen here and I realize he's the wrong example. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine that Ryan Atkins smokes me in a 5k also. And everything's relative. He's not slow. But when you now whittle people down to the the series of just people who have won a world championship then then criteria changes a little bit so yeah i I, kirk i'm interested in starting right back at the beginning and Mm. finding out his history of sport and life and and then working back up to i finding out why he just puts people into the ground who show up with a different type of skill set i agree with that we should do that right now right now let's do it talk let's talk about it man let's you said you had no running background necessarily or formal run training until i don't know what point in your life but like let's start you said you grew up out east um just a little backstory as like a kid what life was like all that and then maybe an introduction to sport like did you have a sports background what did that look like why don't you bring us back uh to start (laughs) all right yeah yeah born and raised in auburn new york uh central new york area I mean, I played sports, you know, as a kid, right? Like I was in uh, like peewee baseball or whatever they call it, right? And I actually, I played baseball for up and through Little League, not super demanding aerobically, right? And wasn't very good, scared of the ball, always getting out of the way. Um, Played youth basketball. I think I have, I got a year of youth soccer in me, but like my primary sport, I bowled for a long time. I've I was uh, an avid bowler for 15 years, I think. So that was that was my main focus. <laughs> we are on episode episode 306 <laughs> or so, and this is the first bowling mention we've had yet in someone's history of sport. This I love this it gets already. me going. I like this. Yeah, I'm not surprised, right? Uh, yeah, so that that was my main focus. I lived like a block away from the bowling alley. So I go and I, I, I take my equipment down every day and I, I'll just, I stay there for a few hours, bowl like 10 games a day for a decade, right? So I was, that's what I was decent at. That's what I had fun doing. Um, 
you know, and then besides that, like outside of, of bowling for sport, I, I skateboarded, you know, I was like a little hooligan running around drinking monsters, eating Taco Bell and, and then, yeah, just gallivanting <laughs> around, around town after the hours. Cliche combination. Huh? Oh yeah. The cliche bowling skateboarder combination. Yeah. Classic, classic over there. What is, okay. So I actually am like a closeted fan of bowling in the sense where like, I'll, if there's nothing going on, I'll be like, guys, let's go bowling. And I always get vetoed. People are like, no, we're not going to bowling. It's stupid. I love it. I love bowling. I think it's a fantastic stimulation. I'm average at it, but I love bo- going bowling. And I actually was in a bowling, I was on the bowling team in sixth grade before I found running myself. Uh, and I always got yelled at because I didn't put all my fingers in the holes. I had a special technique they got yelled at for. But anyways, what kind of bowling did you do? Let's get into that. What, like, what are you talking about? That was your sport. Yeah, I, I bowled from like seven years old up through college, right? So it was yeah it was my my main sport through school and everything right like, yeah tournaments like a league leagues tournaments travel leagues the whole shebang i took it serious i was a, i was a serious bowler um i guess like i don't know if you know um if anybody's familiar with numbers i think at my best i, I was averaging like you know high 250s low 260s with a couple of, of decent series in there a couple 800s uh I threw two two ninety nines. Never got the coveted three hundred, but yeah, that's what I did. That was my focus, man. I'm curious. I'm trying to take an angle. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, come at an angle. Like, what? <laughs> how did this benefit DJ today? I'm like trying to ask the spin there, and I'm like, oh, grip strength, arm. I I'm trying to. I'm. What? Do you oh, think there's mental. any translation? Mental, sure, mental. Yeah, you have to have a short term memory. That's fair. You definitely have to have a short-term memory. You got to get over something negative that has, you know, just happened to you. And then it's like, I think if, if I'm going to take anything away from it, it's like the ability to have like a, a pre-shot routine, as we would call it, right? So like setting up and just getting ready to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, and just make sure you you get in the mindset to to do it again and to do it again and do it again, right? So... So that's my biggest takeaway. Besides that, it's like amazing body imbalances. Throw in, you know, a 15 pound bowling ball with the same arm, you know, a couple, couple hundred times a day. <laughs> watching the average person bowl is a lot like watching a recreational OCR race, though, where you come out and you're hyper focused on your first five or six throws, five or six obstacles, and then you start to drift mentally and you start yeah. to take it for granted or get sloppy. And then next thing you know, you failed something and now things get bad. That that ability to stay same routine, same form for hours on end, that's, that carries. A little bit. Yeah. And like there was pressure situations in bowling, right? Like if you're, you, yeah, yeah. You need to, you need to finish with one last strike and you gotta get it done. Like people are watching these tournaments, dude. Like, I don't know if, you're too familiar with it, but there's audiences for bowling, right? So, and it's like spotlights on you. Can you make it happen? So that clutch, clutch scenario. So Mm -hmm. maybe I carried some of that with me. Any sport where you have to stand up alone and the situations presented to you and you have to execute is very, very different than getting lost in the shuffle of a team. 
even a team yeah. score, like a free throw in crunch time is very different than shooting a rhythm shot. And bowling is almost nothing but isolated moments. And I think that's pretty necessary to have composure for. Yeah. And that I always thrived more in an individual sport. Like I was on the teams and I don't know, I just kind of let people play the sport around me. I didn't really know how to assert myself and, and get in involved with the team. So maybe that's also why I gravitated towards bowling. I golfed in, in high school. That was, I guess my, my secondary sport, but yeah. Do individual stuff. Is there any period of time? Is there any, anything that feels more pressure in anything you've done than like the first tee box while playing golf with a crowd around you? I, that's my nightmare. Like that first swing off the tee with a finite motor skill. Like we can use adrenaline to our advantage in running. We can pop off the line and, and get it out of our system. But I can't imagine swinging a golf club in front of a crowd at a little ball and making it go where I want it. Is that, is that fair or is there, is there more pressure situation? That was my one time to shine in golf. I could I could hit the snot out of a drive and then just don't watch <laughs> me play the rest of the game. Yeah. Drive for show, putt for dough, as they say, and I, I, yeah, I looked good right off the right off the bat at the game, and then you know I'll go and four putt from fifteen feet or something. I, uh, I'd be in the fairway to the right with my slice if I had eyes on me for sure. I would get an out of bounds penalty uh, with a crowd, anyways. DJ, did you um, did you do any uh, it's called fitness? stuff like go at this period of time through college going for a run for kicks hitting the gym so your chest looks nice anything like that yeah i started i started lifting i probably like my senior year of high school i actually started to train just to put on some mass i think i graduated high school about 150 pounds and i i basically just dedicated myself to to the weight room for you know the next let's call it like six, seven years. Yeah. Just did my best to put on mass. So after, you know, skateboard, bowling, golf and weightlifting. And then that's actually probably, that's like a small reason why I got away from the other two, right? Like I started to get, I got bulky. I, I had pushed myself up to just, just over 200 pounds. Um, and then all my mechanics had faded. Uh, but I was, I was over that. I, I had spent enough time doing it and I was, I was happy to move on. So yeah. And then I guess also I did, I ran one year of track in high school where I did high jump and ran hundred meter dash. And I think my hundred time was like 13 seconds or something. So nothing spectacular. It's like lay on the, the high jump mat and, and pick on everybody for, for doing workouts kind of deal. So could you jump or were you just there to avoid running? <clears throat> um, I could jump a little bit compared to everybody around me. Um, I'm five foot nine and I think I jumped five eleven was my highest. Okay. So you got some fast twitch in you. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where that comes from. Maybe like I, I have, I have no idea. So I was going to say maybe skateboarding, like kick, kick, push, kick, push all day. Cause I would, do, I would do that from outside of bowling. I would do that from, from sunup to sundown. That's it. You know, just hang out in parking lots. And, and I assume you were a one-sided kicker. You you were always pushing the same foot? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I never spent much time switching it up, so. Which was your plant leg for jumping? Uh, right leg, and that's my, my kicking leg, too, so that makes sense. 
putting the pieces together. So shoot me. So shoot me straight then. So let's say your track coach, your bowling coaches, your golf coaches. If they were to take the whole corral of athletes, the whole track team when you were on it, the whole golf team when you were on it, and the whole bowling team when you were on it, and they said, "Coach, you got to pick out one person of your crew who who's going to go be a twenty-four hour race monster." Would they all have seen something in you that were like, "Oh, DJ," or would they all have had no idea that you would have been the one that somehow would have become who you are? No, nah, I think that nobody would have any idea. Um, I didn't. I wasn't a, how can I phrase this? I don't know. I, I, I was, I think I used the word hooligan before, right? Like I partied a lot. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a very good focus on, on much of anything besides those, those few sports that, that I enjoyed. But yeah, I don't think anybody would have picked me for success in ultra endurance events. Okay. You just wonder if something jumps off like, okay, he's good at this, but we've seen him grind in other ways or something about his personality characteristics would make sense, but nothing you don't think at that young age uh, jumped off the page at anybody. So like, when did that, I guess you got, what you got over 200 pounds of, of what I'm assuming mostly lean mass. Now you're lifting weights. You're what? 20, you're, 24 and you still haven't really run a step for mm-hmm. training and you're 29 now so five years ago i'm i'm basically we're up to speed is that right uh yeah so i mean i like my running would consist of like a 20 minute warm-up before i hit weights you know and then maybe like a, a 15 to 20 minute cool down walk run uh, but besides that, yeah, um, I, I would run like a circuit with somebody in the gym when they showed up on a Sunday and I wasn't trying to lift. We just get a little bit of a different stimulus and we would do like short, really uh, anabolic, anabolic work. But yeah, besides that, um, so like my catalyst for running was I got sick. I, I was I, I ended up going to the hospital. I, I don't know what I felt like I had like a metal shard jabbed into my side right so i like keel over and i I waddle myself in and i got a what is it at this point i don't know i got i got a scan right and i had a stomach abscess they said that was the size of both of my fists put together put between two layers of my large intestine and that was accompanied by diverticulitis right so i ended up in the hospital for eight days no food no water. And funny story there is like on the last day I got a new nurse and she's like, Hey, um, you want me to, you want me to sponge your lips? <laughs> and I was like, you can sponge my lips. You can, I can have some water. Right. So oh. she comes over and dabs me. But, uh, I left that, you know, pretty beat up. Right. Um, I think diverticulitis is no joke. It was, it was brutal. It was brutal. Um, did you lose any parts of your intestines? Eventually. Yeah. Eventually had, I opted in for surgery. So this was 2017. Um, I ended up in the hospital for the first time, you know, had my, my bout there, came out and then I started, I was good for like, maybe like four to six months, somewhere in there. It kind of escapes me a little bit, but, and then I started going back to the hospital, like every like month or so, like I'd be good for two weeks and then it'd start to come back and then it would be unbearable and I'd go back and they would just throw antibiotics at me. So, and then after like another six months of doing that, they were like, okay, you can either live your life on, on antibiotics or we could try to cut out the, the bad bit and splice you back together and, and hope for the best. Right. So I eventually opted for that in February of 2018. 
And by that time I was, I'm now back to like 150 pounds or so, just not able to, to eat much. Right. So I'm like, I don't, I just spent almost a decade trying to put on all that mass. Um, do I want to do that again? I was having fun powerlifting. I, you know, I had some good numbers, but I'm not as strong anymore. And I'm like, this is, um, that summer before I started having some fun playing around in the Adirondacks and I'm like, well, I've been enjoying the mountains. So let's see if I can move through them a little quicker. And that was, that was the catalyst. So, and been eyes down ever since. And I haven't had any issues. It's been almost five years. What was recovery like after surgery? What was that like? Uh, that was, it was, it was very, very difficult at the beginning and then it progressed very quickly. Right. So it was like a, a week of absolute bedridden, um, pain more than anything. So I had five incisions. They did it robotically. Um, and then one large incision to actually pull the big bit out. Um, so I was full of dissolvable stitches, right? So I didn't have to worry about going and getting any of that out, but I got out of the hospital and I lived on a third story apartment. So it took me, you know, however long to get up the stairs. And then, yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't leave my little studio apartment for a few weeks. Right. And then I started to feel a little bit better. Like I would have, I would spend most of my days just laying in front of the window in the sun and like, be like, Oh man, I need some healing right now. I, 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 this is the last thing that I want. Um, you know, I've, I've always been active in a sense, like running around doing something. Right. And so, and I couldn't, I couldn't lift and my identity fades a little bit there. Cause I was this big jack dude mm. running around, but trying to, it was like a big mental toll more than anything. Cause I knew I would, I knew I would heal. Right. Like I'm, I'm not worried about that time passes. Um, so I would say it took like a good few weeks for me to be like, okay, I'm going to walk down the stairs and, and try to get outside today. And just like any movement, it's your core, right? So anytime you're engaging anything, even like exterior, exterior limbs, you're feeling that activate and it's, it's pulling on things. And I got to, I have to relearn how to to brace and, and just live normally. Right. So go outside and be like, okay, I'm trying to get, I got to the bottom of the stairs one day and I'm like totally out of breath. Like, okay, that's too much, you know, back up the stairs I go and, and wait another day. And then, you know, little progressions after that, I would say I decided to take my, like my first steps into running like four weeks after surgery. And it was very minimal, right? Like went out, just tried to see what I could do. I might've gone a quarter mile and, and came back to the house. But so I initially, um, got into running when I was in the hospital, uh, my buddy had sent me Cameron Haynes's Instagram. Right. And for whatever reason I, that gravitated or yeah, that, that resonated with me. Right. And I was like, I think I want to do some of that. The dude's running. I, he was like, just run Moab 240. And I'm like, dude, I want to crush. I don't know what it is now, but like, I just, like, you get, you get stuck into something, right? You get put down, can't do anything. And now you want to see what, what you can do after that. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know any of this, um, which makes this all the more impressive. I, I, I have, two questions following up uh, the diverticulitis specifically and that is one do you know why that happened to you and then two how much of your small intestine did they remove i don't know exa- i don't know why they couldn't tell you why um the, i wasn't a candidate for it right i was 25 years old i looked super fit but i don't know like i drank a lot maybe that could be a factor i was overeating like all hell to put on this mass and i was into into 
you know, some other questionable activities in my life. So I don't, I don't know. It's just compounding stuff that I would say is probably my fault to be totally truthful. And uh, I think they pulled out, it was like a, a 10 or 12 inch section of my large intestine. And then they, it's crazy. They splice it back together and I was eating the next morning too, which is kind of incredible, but that's another <laughs> beside the fact. Yeah. Some people are never the same after that though. Yeah. Like that, that was the conversation, right? It's like, this might not even work and you could have, I forget what it's called, like a, the bag that goes on the side of you and <laughs> you know, where like my Last intestines day, would yeah. collapse. Yeah. My intestines would be rerouted out outside of my stomach and I would just have to live with this bag on the side of me. And I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. So, um, I didn't have to. And I was like, okay, cool. Like let's, I don't know if I'm ever going to get sick again. Right. Like they're like, it's a pre-existing condition now. And your body could attack itself again. So, and I think that's like a driving force for me, right? Like I don't, it was my opportunity to say, I don't know what I have left for like health and life and all these things. So let's push the envelope. Yeah. What were you doing at the time for work? Um, I was working in a warehouse stocking shelves for an industrial hose company. I just got a job there through like a temp agency so yeah, doing shipping and receiving, sending packages, receiving packages. And then uh, at that point I might have, so I, I worked for that company for six years, right? And that's where I actually ended up with my sales gig. So you had insurance throughout this? I had, yeah, I, yeah, yep. I think I had just got uh, actually signed on with the company and they took really good care of me. So I had insurance, wow. yeah. My, I that's think, fortunate. Oh yeah, I think the, like the actual total on the hospital bill was like, like $70,000 or something for my, my full stay and the surgery. And I did not, I did not pay that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how long then after recovery, starting to run again, did you move into sales? Um, so probably within like a, a few months, you know, the job that they asked me to come back and they said, Hey, we got, a sales position in a new city and it's available if you want to go if like if you're willing to up your life and go move out there and I actually lived in a La Quinta for six months while I did that I lived out of a hotel while I had my first sales gig yeah so yeah it was decent you know and then I, I put the the points under my name so I ended up accruing six months of, of hotel points oh. <laughs> which I finally exhausted but yeah, it was just a few months after I jumped right in. Yeah, yeah, they took real good care of me. So. I would have thought you got out, you'd get out of the hospital, you'd start to heal up, and you'd want to get your old body back. Like, I'm surprised there was such a hard pivot there, you know, because that would be demoralizing. Somebody who's worked for four to six yep. years at just building their physique up, which I can respect, that is not easy for those who think it is, you're wrong. So I would just imagine that would have been your first inclination, but it was not. Is it real? Is it as simple as getting fixated on something like watching a Cameron Haynes in, on Instagram, or am I missing something, some seeding that has happened along the way? Because that's a that's about a hardest of a pivot as you can make, DJ, going from hitting the gym to being inspired by a two hundred forty mile race. Yeah, so it's something I still battle with a little bit, right? Like I look at myself and I think. I'm heavy right now. I weighed in at 168 pounds this morning, right? So, but that's 
40 pounds off of my my biggest and most shredded physique right so i'm like dang you're small but i mean i'm i'm still pretty big in this world in a sense i guess but it it's it was a it at the beginning it was a massive massive battle between the ears that i had to overcome right um and i've gotten uh i've gotten over it in a sense right like i said i still fight it a little bit um i don't think that ever fades but um i just had refocused myself with with different goals right and say okay like your your sport is now going to shape your body and that's that's what you want more than anything like i want these i want performances and i didn't really know what i was chasing when i first started that i didn't know what that meant like i looked at the dude like campaigns 240 miles and i was like that's what i want to get to and i had no idea how i would how i would work my way there but i was like just you know run do different style lifting right like let's focus on some strength training for runners and try not to worry about it and it was hard but we got it done you said it was a struggle immense struggle early on what did that look like because it's not the problem with body image or dysmorphia I i don't know which way you went towards it uh is that it's not a daily thing it's a minute by minute thing so how what was that struggle like early on for you because that is something that everyone listening has to some extent and many of them to a pretty high extent yeah so i mean it was now every time i look at myself i look small and i look soft and fluffy right and i i don't have Mm -hmm. these big round muscles that i used to have so it's like i i wanted to get that back that was a part of my my confidence as a person, right? Like I was very quiet as a kid. I didn't know what to do. And, and I finally found something that, that allowed me to bolster myself up and, and that all was gone within a year's time frame. So I was like, mm. I don't, I don't know what to do anymore to, to, to feel, to feel good about myself in a, in a sense. Right. So I was like, I, I wanted to put it back on, but I had already picked the goal of, I, I want to learn how to move quickly and, and be enduring and things like that. So I always just, I had to continue to have the conversation with myself all the time of you've picked a new goal, you know, and what do you, what do you really want at the end of the day? Right. So it's just like those hard, honest questions you have to ask yourself. And are you going to make the sacrifices to get what you want to get done, done? Or, you know, am I going to fall back on feeling good about myself aesthetically? Right. Which is valuable in a sense, but it wasn't worth, um, what the ability to move well was going to be worth, you know, not for me anymore. Have you had a moment yet where you've looked and said, I am absolutely thrilled with how my body is right now. Oh yeah. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Like I still like, I want to be jacked, right? Like it's fun, but now I, I just, (laughs) I, again, I got other goals, man, and and I'm, I'm not going to do any. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I am I am now the thing that that goes right, and I need I need to utilize my body efficiently. And if I did have that that big massive physique, I wouldn't be as good at doing what I currently do and want to do, and even be better at. So, yeah, I look at myself every once in a while. I'll give myself a flex and be like, Yeah, let's go. It's all right. <laughs> you're 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 doing okay. Muscle's hard to get rid of in a sense too, right? So what what mm-hmm. stuck around is still like I'm still kind of kind of bulky in a sense. For if you look at a pure runner, uh, I'm, I'm quite uh, quite a lot larger than than most, I'll say. But 
Yeah, it's okay to like uh, the term, like it's not okay to fat shame, right? Um, which I agree with. It's also to an extent and it's not okay to like skinny shame necessarily either. I had a, uh, which I know sounds like such like a first world problem. I had somebody back in my bachelor days, I did a bunch of weightlifting and I was probably 15 pounds heavier and feeling real beef. And I had somebody walk into the gym that hadn't seen me in like six years. They finally came back. And that's the first thing they said to me was you're so skinny and little. What happened to you? And I was like, excuse me, excuse me. Those little moments. It's like, I'm sure some people who knew you before and, and then maybe you catch up with when you go back home now are probably, they probably can't help, but acknowledge it. Right. And mine's only 10 or 15 pounds. So I'm sure they once in a while, I always tell them, I'm like, you just shut your mouth. And when I'm done and retired with this endurance stuff, I'm going to get huge and kick your ass. That's what I tell them. That's that's what you just <laughs> that's what you should tell them too. Yeah, no, I, I got a lot of that, especially from the dudes I've worked with, the dudes that I worked with in the warehouse. Right? They're like, oh, you're little, you're little, because I'd still be in the mm -hmm. building as a sales associate, right? And like, ah, oh, go on, go eat some food, get back in the gym, square up, let's go. You got something to say? Let's go. <laughs> I just had that happen the other day. Mm -hmm. I just walked into a a Packer party, <laughs> of Wisconsin. And oh, my geez. uncle goes, whoa, you have gotten thin. You have lost a lot of weight, haven't you? Like, I'm wearing tight pants. Yeah. <laughs> no? And he turned to my dad. He said, isn't he looking really skinny? And I don't really have any, a whole lot of body hangovers. But I felt like a little kid standing <laughs> there in that kitchen. Like, oh, oh, man. It works both ways. I'm looking really tiny. That yeah, would be such a compliment yeah. to some people on this planet. And for me, apparently yeah. that cut me right to my core. Like I'm, I'm skinny. Let no, me take my shirt I'm, off and flex for you I'm, real quick. I'm Let huge. me what you fit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 35. I have three kids. I am comfortable in my life completely. And it took one comment and I was second guessing everything about my workout routine from someone who's yeah. not an athlete. It's just, right. I, it's crazy how this works. But my point being on that. If I'm a conf if I I would consider myself having a pretty positive body image. I'm a decently confident person about that now. Like I was a runt growing up. Everything now that I do, I feel like is exponentially bigger because I was five foot, one hundred and two pounds when I started high school. So, like I I I have a good solid base of confidence, and it took one one not even a conversation, just the entry to a conversation, and I felt shook by it. And you get that little yeah. glimpse of this can go real bad real quickly. Yeah. If you let that snowball, you could end up in bad shape pretty shortly after. So it's like, yeah. you know, you know, you know, so don't even worry about what anybody else says. Yeah. Screw everybody. Crazy. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> what I was going to ask is, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're all wonderful. Uh, okay. So let's, let's punch a timeline here. So 2018 we've done, Bracken and I have done two episodes that basically in essence are from couch to ultra. Okay. And they really resonate with people. Uh, we've never done well from the hospital bed to 24 hour world champ. We've never done essentially from the weight room to 24 hour world champ or any version of that. Like this is another level of conversation or like performance that we haven't actually talked about from somebody who is not an endurance athlete. And then to hear your timeline, not only is coming out of the hospital, is 2018, and you were a world champ in 2022. 
So four years later, before you put on running shoes for your first time with purpose, you go from potential colostomy bag, skateboard, and scumbag, or whatever the word was you use, to Hooligan. I forget. Hooligan. It might have been a nice I, guy I, still. Yeah. That was not the word I used. I, I might have sharpened that one a little. I'm sorry. Um, to to no that, that that'll be the episode title <laughs> DJ Fox Scum, scumbag yeah. scumbag to world champ scumbag <laughs> yeah insert foot in mouth previous previous um, scumbag sorry sorry about that uh, yeah. four years four years DJ from all that to to this and that's an astounding timeline and not to shortcut this process but I would really like to know what's happened since then and up until now and just walking us through your progression here over the last four plus years yeah so i was like again first attempt was i made it down the stairs realized that was too much went back up the stairs then again got out of the house quarter mile back in the house and then it's like okay half a mile to a mile right like i mean we've heard we've heard this story before where and eventually i'm like i went out for five miles right and this all happened very quickly it was like i can do a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more and so a couple weeks in i'm like let's see due to fitness or pain i'm sorry due to your recovery from surgery or due to the fact like you you got winded once i was i was running i was running right and if if i was actually moving that way i would say the pain was no longer the issue it was fitness i just couldn't get it done like that that first 10 miler i went out for i think i had eight decent miles i have no idea what the pacing looked like on those right um and then absolutely dying home to get those those final two done right um so yeah it was just like i if i did this yesterday i can do you know x plus one today that was the initial mindset right and i think that's kind of how we all go into it um so i quickly got up to like 20 miles a week 25 and i'm in the running store like i'm running 25 miles a week i need some i need some good running shoes and like okay whatever buddy throw something on my feet and, and, and send me off um and then it was i still had the sales job but now they had offered it to me to come so it was in Albany. It was where the sales job started. They said, "Hey, we got one back in like the Syracuse, Rochester area. You can have a territory there, and that's closer to where I'm from." So I moved back, and I moved out to uh, my friend's farm in a little town called Sempronius on the outskirts, right, where there's more cows and chickens than there ever will be people. Uh, so it was it was a really cool place to live. 1800s house. There's no heat. Um, our, our heat was a single fireplace. We had uh, well water. So it was very like live off the landish, right? So I get out there and now I'm, I, I've been running, but now I'm like, okay, I want to perform a little bit. So it was, the surgery was February, 2018. I'm starting to run a little bit. Um, all of my runs are way too fast. Um, again, I have that mindset of, if I did X, I can do X plus one. And that's also in regards to how fast I had this four mile loop. Right. And I basically time trialed it every single day as I'm starting to get into mm-hmm. running. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm coming across my, my first few injuries, right? Like, um, I, I got like shin splints real bad from, from calf stuff and knee things. And, you know, I, I can't figure out why. So, and I probably the, the overexertion of, of, uh, in intensity probably was the culprit there, but, um, let's see. So I, uh, started running, 
obviously more and more. And then I picked my first Spartan race in August of 2018. And I don't even remember how I came across that to be totally truthful, but I'm like, okay, I'm enjoying running. Um, I've been running through the Adirondacks a little bit. These are mountain races. I'll probably be really good at this. I used to be strong. It's a good, a good mesh of, of what I used to really focus on and, and now my future goals. So I go out, I think I land, I'm like 36th overall in open division. I'm like, oh, okay, this is my sport. Um, you know, there was 2000 people there. I finished in the top, top 40, you know, I'm obviously really good at this. Not even realizing that there was like an age group division. <laughs> you you were 36 in the open division your first yeah. race open yeah. division yep bracken what were you in your first spartan race uh second second in elite i was fourth but got disqualified <laughs> yeah in elite like a hooligan <laughs> and you were 36 without knowing in like a, anything like about the scumbag. sport yeah so um, you know, ignorance is bliss. Right. And I was like, I'm going to be really good at this. I'm obviously pretty good. I just beat 2000 people on this race course. I'm a badass, Right. Um, so I, you dive a little deeper. I'm like, Oh, there's the trifecta, right? I got to pick a sprint beast, super ultra. So 2019, I do the Greek peak sprint. I think I signed up for elite because you could just jump in at that point. I fell off. That ain't a trifecta. I don't know if you're confused, but the ultra's not in there. That must have been the DJ Fox special that was, trifecta. That was the special. Yeah, exactly. I had to do it all. I saw, it, it existed, and I had to pick it all. I had to do I had to do everything, right? And my, my focus was, in the future, I, I knew I wanted to do these long events, right? I didn't know how, when I would get there. I obviously knew they weren't happening right now, but I'm like, until it never happens, it's possible in in my eyes right and that's kind of how i i used to operate and still am, am able to hold on to that ran this greek peak sprint fell off the first rig ended up i think out of like 45 dudes i, I finished like you know high 30s or maybe 40th went okay i've got some learning to do obviously something is not going well i hired josh reed as my coach this year or it, like 2019 early in that year he helped me get through the Palmerton Super, um, the New Jersey Beast, and the Killington Ultra Beast. I ended up doing it at the end of the year. Um, and so that was my first ultra event, 2019, September. Those are legit courses. Palmerton, New Jersey, Killington? Yeah, yeah. And I... I picked them because they were close. They were all within driving distance, right? They were like about four hours away. I had no idea what I was getting into. I suffered like never before on Palmerton mm-hmm. in the sun, not knowing anything about nutrition and hydration. And I had a very rough day, but all that did was kind of kick me in the butt and say, you got, you got things to figure out, right? So let's, let's start to, to learn some more, right? So I'm diving into books. I got Josh as the coach. He's helping me out. You know, I'm getting an education from him at the same time because I don't know anything at this point. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Killington Ultra was, was my first, first step into the ultra world where I knew I wanted to be. I think that took me just under 11 hours to complete, which I was happy with. It was a brutal year. It was like raining and there's 20 mile an hour winds at the top of the mountain. And it was, you know, I, I finished that. Is that that hypothermia year where we saw like we saw some of the women like face stunning not finish or it was that it was like thirty degrees and raining it was miserable. Is that the year? 
Or am I mistaking that for something else? Um, so the 30 degrees and miserable sounds pretty appropriate. Um, I had no like insight into the actual sport yet. 40 degrees. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure how everybody else fared, but I had a very rough time. Um, I got there. I didn't end up with hypothermia, but I'm walking around jackhammering, trying to go up that death march they got. And yeah, I made it, made it through it and, you know, finished, never hurt so bad in my life. And I went, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to do. That was, you know, as rough as it was, I have never felt more accomplished in my life. What's next. Right. And what's next was COVID. So nothing to do for the next year. So, um, uh, when that, when that happens, right. I'm like, okay, I got two options. I either put my head down and I, I keep working and we're going to find out who, who was working at the end of this. Right. So this is my opportunity to come out of the shadows, um, having put in however long this lasts of work. Right. So that ended up being almost the, almost the, I guess that was all of 2020, nothing going on, no racing, just pure training. Right. So I think I, I ran, I gave my first 50 mile, FKT attempt a shot. So I went to go run around Cranberry Lake and I ended up getting IT band syndrome so bad through that. I I felt like I had a piece of rebar from my hip to my heel for like five weeks after the fact. And that was due to the fact that like 10 miles in, I'm like, oh, my knee bugs me a little bit and whatever. I trained for this, right? Hurt tomorrow kind of deal. And then 50K in, I couldn't walk and it's a big loop and it's out. It's very remote if you're not familiar with that time. So I got two walking sticks and I'm like using them as ski poles, peg legging my way out of there. And again, like that's, that's another, another big dig to me and a failure that, that just said, all right, you got, you got more stuff to figure out. You're not, you're not there yet. You have no idea what you're doing. So, so let's learn a little bit more. Right. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a whole year jump. Right. But that, that's all it was. It was head down, putting in the work, working under Josh Reed, trusting him to, to get me where I wanted to be. 2021 rolls around. What did that work look like? I want to pause you. What did that work look like? Because you're coming in without the background of track or cross country or even like cycling or anything like that. So where did you guys begin and how did you progress? So he said, um, what's your average weekly mileage? And I'm like 40 to 50 because I think I ran one 50 mile <laughs> week. <laughs> right. That sounds about right. So he treats me mm-hmm. as, you know, a 40 to 50 mile a week athlete. And I end up um, with a couple of, of injuries that pop up pretty quickly. And he quickly reevaluates and I, I'm back to running 30 mile weeks. Um, but now supplementing a lot of work on the bike. So running like five, five days a week at that point, let's call it 30 miles with a bunch of, of supplemental uh biking so i'm out I'm, I'm on the trainer and i'm out doing my my long bike ride on the weekends so i think overall probably total volume was probably close to like seven or eight hours entirely for for everything right um and outside of strength work right so he's always got me he had me playing kettlebells doing lots of swings and snatches and, and overhead pressing and lots of unilateral stuff to to try to build some core stability um yeah so it was it was light light work in a sense, but it, it was all I, all I could do at the moment. So, um, and then slow, slow builds. I think by the end of the year, he had me, he had me back up to about that 50 miles where I had initially told him I was supposed to start. So yeah, a lot of, and a lot of easy running, 
lot of a lot of slogging through through the state forest by myself and yeah lots of lots of easy work you know a little bit of little bit of speed here and there but you know he's like you gotta you gotta build the base you got nothing so you know all right continue that's, that's, that's what that looked like okay yeah so and then yeah 2021 uh, I think things are kind of starting to open back up a little bit, right? So I've, I've just been working up to this point, and I don't think I actually jumped into a race as stuff opened up, right? Because I'm, I don't know, there's like, there's like masks, and I don't want to race with a mask on. Like I'm like whatever. There's like a bunch. I could do anything else in the world, right? Um, so I picked just like some fun routes around me. I had set the Bob Marshall Traverse fastest known time, which was pretty soft. Um, it's still pretty soft. I'd say even I, I still have it. It's so uh, it's a, uh, it was 50 K in the Adirondack mountains with 16,000 feet of climbing. Um, and that was like, it took me 12, 12 and a half hours. Yeah. And I did that in the middle of the July. So like 90 degrees and again, learned quite a bit. So, and it was, uh, self-supported carried all of my hydration and my nutrition which was not adequate there's this little tiny mountain at the end of that route called um oh geez mount mount marshall i'm probably gonna get it wrong someone's gonna yell at me but it's this little tiny thing oh no mount joe mount joe okay no nobody can say anything and it's like a few hundred foot climb after everything you did and i just you got to get up it and down it and it's like another you know, maybe two miles to finish this thing out. And I died. I absolutely died white in the face. I'm like holding trees, trying to climb this damn thing. And people are walking past me and they're like, yeah, all right, buddy. And I'm like, yeah, just got fastest, fastest time. Still going to get it, you know, and absolutely suffered through that. But that was my big accomplishment for the year. Went back to Cranberry because now at this point, now world's toughest is on the schedule. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out what races I want to do. And I'm like, I don't know. I want to do something big. I'm talking to Josh and he's like, world's toughest he's like it's gonna be fun you're gonna have friends there and you know i bet you do good at it right so um i then go and i pick cranberry lake again because i've got unfinished business there it kicked my butt last time and i go i go to try to to, to set the fkt on that again i take a wrong turn like six miles in that that adds a few extra miles to to my route um and then i ended up actually i finished it no errors besides that one logistical issue early on and i think that was like a nine hour effort for 50 miles so i'm starting to i built fitness here i had nothing to really compare it to right um i haven't raced i don't know how i how i compare to other people in the field right but there's a time and i'm like all right nine hours that's respectable i, I did okay and then it's like all eyes on world's toughest mutter i come out to the ultra house uh two weeks before wtm um, and I train with Anthony and Josh out here in the mountains at this point. Now I've got, so in between, sorry, in between Cranberry Lake and world's toughest, I'm, I'm getting some decent volume under me, but my, my biggest week has still been 50 miles. And then I think I sneak in two at 60 miles going into 2021 WTM, you know, and I get to that race and I, I talk to Josh and I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm really excited for this one. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can go out there. I can gain some experience, learn a little bit and, and come back and be competitive next year. And he's like, he chuckles a little bit. He goes, won't be surprised to see you on the podium this time around. So and I, I snuck onto it that year also. But yeah, that leads us to the end of 2021. And that was, well, that was a quick race recap. So you went to your first 24 hour <laughs> event. Yeah. Which correct me if I'm wrong. Your previous long effort was 12 hours. 
Yeah, 12 hours for that 50K and then the 50 mile cranberry effort that I did eight weeks prior, nine weeks prior. And so you show up to the line never having raced overnight. Had you raced in the dark ever? No. Had you ever run in a wetsuit before? No, I didn't have to put one on that year though. Okay. And had you had you run into fueling, diet or fueling issues with your gut no. in your running career so far? No, I've, you know, find wood to knock on, but I have been bulletproof okay. so far in that regards. Yeah, I can eat. That's that's another thing I'm really good at. I do want to hear about your first 24 hour race then, because that's a that's a system shock in every sense of the word. Yeah, and you already spoiled it. You took third place, and this is a race that professional level endurance athletes target each year. Yeah, you know, I mean, you heard my my mindset about it previously. I'm like, ah, hopefully I can figure it out and I can be better at it next year, right? Um, but I just made the promise with myself going into it that I'm going to move the whole time. Right. And I'm going to move. There's 24 hours on the clock. I'm going to move for 24 hours. That's the only thing I can do today. So let's, let's, let's see how that goes. But I had, honestly, it was, it was, a as, you know, as much as you can mix this up, it was comfortable. Like I, it, it, I didn't have any of like those real deep, dark moments that people will always talk about for these 24 hour events. I went out and I had a bunch of fun running around in the desert uh, with my friends. And I didn't check the leaderboards at all, right? And uh, I'm coming through 22 hours in or whatever. And they're like, hey, you're eight minutes behind Javier. And I'm like, what, really? I'm I'm racing? <laughs> you know, I thought, I'm just out here doing my thing, running laps and, and having fun and just trying, trying to do the best I can. And then I'm like, all right, well, I'm in the pit. I'm like, get me out of here, like. Let's go chase him. Let's let's see what happens, right? So start hammering and find him at mile 99, give him a big hug and <laughs> and, and and carry on. Um, so I don't I don't know how much you want to dive into the actual race itself, right? But it was it was pretty smooth. Like the weather was good. The hot it was hot, right? So it was like 86 for the highs, the low was only 56. Again, no wetsuit necessary. Uh, I guess fueling and hydration. We we can go there real quick. I carried two soft. Oh no, I carried one single 500 milliliter soft flask with me for the majority of the race. And my idea going in was I'm going to do one lap with an Endure Elite Sustain Elite product, um, and I'm going to carry a gel or a like honey stinger waffle, right? And I'm going to consume the bottle and I'm going to eat the like the, the extra calories in, in the form of the gel or the waffle on the lap, re up take off you know and that lasted quite a while probably like close to 10 hours oh alternating laps i would go from sustainably to a bottle of maple syrup and water right and i just kind of toggled back and forth between the two just i was afraid to get to 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 have too much of one right and just not want it anymore so i'm like all right just give yourself some variety you know just so you can get some different flavors in right um and then probably like 12 hours, close to like 10, 12 hours in, um, they bought pizza and I'm just starting to crush meat lovers pizza from, from Domino's. Right. And I'm eating whole slices at a time and I'm taking a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with me and I'm running like that first quarter mile and just smashing food coming around. And then it would just be like anything I wanted. Javier's girlfriend, be like, what do you want? And I'm like, uh, trying to figure it, you know, making decisions. And she's just like, throws the Snickers in my mouth, sticks one in my pocket. And she's like, all right, go on, get now. Uh, yeah. So it was like, you know, these long events, right? It's, it's a running race and it's an eating contest. And that's been one of my 
powerful tools is, is my ability to put down food and hold it down even despite everything that happened with with my guts up until this point right so yeah uh the race was fun and i surprised myself the guy that you passed on the last lap his girlfriend was helping you but yeah. they had a conversation about that later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we all talked about it. It was great. Uh-huh. I, she, He's like, honey, come I on. I didn't hear their conversation. Come on, That's honey. That's the truth. <laughs> um, for perspective here, um, well, I actually have a question about, did you listen to Bracken's solo Monsters in the Dark episode on The Running Public? No, I I'm did I'm like not. envisioning you, you didn't. Nope. I'm just envisioning you now in 2020 coming back and racing in 2021 you should give it a listen bracken does a real nice beautiful sultry solo episode it's, it's wonderful he's talking about you really is what he's talking about to be honest it's it's screams dj fox during covid all right um but uh <clears throat> perspective wise so you did your your second official ultra was actually wtm your first was in your quadfecta at killington in the ultra um can you help me understand here? So you did an ultra, and, and what place did you take in um, the Killington Ultra that year? Do you remember? Like ninth or 11th in age group. In age group. And that's, you know, that's a standard that wasn't a championship race. And then fast forward almost two years on the head, and you podium in a world championship 24-hour race. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, man, if that isn't if that isn't progression, I I don't know what is. Yeah. So be, between those two races, two years, ninth and age group in a in a what we call like a regional race to a podium, and we haven't even got to your win this last year. Spoiler. But um, what would you say the biggest keys? Let's let's make this like sort of easy for people to digest. If you had to bullet point, like in those two years, looking back, what was the biggest keys to your progression? What would you say they were as an ultra athlete specifically? Consistency. Yeah. Consistency. Um, I've worked every day since, you know, I've, I've made a lot of sacrifices. I quit that, that nice safe sales job. Um, and yeah, man, I just put in an incredible amount of easy work. Um, like I said, you'll find me running 12 minute miles even today just to make sure I can move. Like that's the most important thing I feel I need to do right now. Um, it'll be again, five years of my, like my athletic career in, in February of this year. So, uh, I'm a baby at this, right? Um, I don't have a massive background and I just need to keep laying down foundation. Even as of right now, you'll catch me running a bunch of easy miles. I'm trying to pick my volume up. Yeah. It's just been the slow slow consistent grind um and that's because i love to do it you know it's not only with the outcome in mind but i just i love to be outside and 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 put the work in i'm having fun well my follow-up question to that then is once in a while you'll get this freak outlier who's obnoxious and they find running in their 20s and they can work up to clicking off a fast mile or 5k being like dang you got talent like you ran this and your 5k and you're newer to running in the last year or two like you see that happen once in a while somebody who finds it and they have a talent but what you don't see as often is somebody who builds up a resistance to impact to handle a hundred mile race as quickly as you did because that can't be that's not talent i don't think at least it's less talent 
the ability to like not break down over that long of duration. And so you say consistency for those two years is key and I buy it hundred percent. What about the resistance to impact piece? Like just being able to function, like you said, your first 50, your first cranberry Lake, you IT band out at 30 miles um, or whatever it was or 50 K. I don't remember. So like what, what, what there is it simply as simple as the consistency piece or is there more to it than that? Um, I think that's the biggest factor is just building up the easy miles. Right. And I do, I do a lot of very simple mobility work, just ankle cars, knee circles, hip cars. Like I'm, I'm, I get up every morning and I've got a routine that lasts, you know, um, about 15 minutes and I do it every single day and I'm just easy mobilization of stuff. And I think that's very helpful. You know, at one, it, it, it kind of shows me anything that, that needs addressing, right? I'm getting through full range of motion and I'll have a little twinge and I'll go, okay, maybe I need to work on that later. And then I will put the work in, right? I'll have something that's bugging me in my calf and, and I'll go and I'll put it in infrared light or I'll scrape it or I'll stretch it or I'll cup it. And I'll just address things immediately. And I've done a really good job at, at listening to my body. And it took a long time to learn what it was saying. Right. Um, but yeah, like I'll, I'll bail on workouts all the time. I'll start running and go, but it doesn't feel good going home. You know, I'll, if I can make up the miles through the rest of the week, I'll do it. Then, and then if not, it is what it is. I'll get on the bike or, you know, I'll just, I'll just do something different. So it's just like, not getting too caught up in these metrics that we want to put out, right? Like I'm like, I want to average 70 mile weeks. Well, if I hit 50 and something doesn't feel good, I'm going to, I'm getting out of there, you know, I'm living to fight another day. So again, I can keep staying consistent and keep putting the work in. Cause that's the most important part. I don't care if I have a hundred mile a week, if I can't do, if I can't do it again next week, you know? And then I don't know. I think, I think the big strength background is actually pretty powerful. Um, I've spent a lot of time throwing around big heavy weights and a lot of it was, you know, without any real education, just kind of trying to figure things out on my own. But I did get big and I did get, I did get strong. I was pulling heavy weights. I, I was, you know, I could squat 405 and I could deadlift 500 and my bench was probably the weakest thing floating around like 250. But, um, taking that strength and, you know, the, the stress that's putting on, on tendons and ligaments and things like that. And then, and then putting that easy work in and translating it, um, I think it carries over to durability. And it took a long time to, to do that, but I, I believe that's that's partially the case. So this always fascinates me when people have a background in something strength-related and they come to the endurance world. Because the endurance world is full of many different ways of getting your strength work in and many people, we did a whole episode on all the crazy different ways people strength train effectively for running, but you had a power background. So did you become the type of runner who says, I'm so strong, I'm never going to need all this power, I'm just going to work on being healthy? Or did you go in on it as a student of the game and say, I'm going to figure out how best to strength train to support my running? Yeah, I would say the latter. I've, I've, I asked myself, what is, what's the proper way to strength train right and i've got this excess of strength and power it's it is excess right mm -hmm. like strength's never going to be a weakness right. right but now can you translate it and make it sports specific right so i got away for a long time from doing all the really heavy work and i, I went to like more unilateral stuff and a lot of even just like basic stability work right doing and doing single leg movements with with very small amounts of weights and just using that weight to kind of change my center of gravity um yeah, I ended up, I did, I did a lot of kettlebell work, 
right? Like I tried to translate it to like more sports specific power. I did a, a ton of swings. Um, but yeah, and then outside of that, I, I was like, strength is my strength <laughs> and running is my weakness. I, I have to run. I have to run. Even if I lose a, a good portion of that strength, I'm probably adequately strong, right? Like I've, I've got enough to, to at least, you know, I can get through these heavy carries just fine. Um, I don't have the aerobic base to, to move as quickly as I need to, but like the weight isn't really the demanding aspect there. Right. And the grip rigs, like I can do that. They're totally fine. I might not be very fluid in them, but strength's not the issue. I need to run. So, um, I suppose if you can deadlift 500, you can lose 50% of your deadlift and still be stronger than you'll ever need to be for running. Yeah. Let's say, so I haven't, I haven't maxed out by any means. Right. But I deadlifted, I did some heavy deadlifts early this year and I pulled like 360 for yeah. a set of three. Right. And that's probably still plenty. That's, that's plenty. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't worked on it. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, I, and last year, right. Like since coming to ultra house, like the focus was was running. I need to run. I'm still going to strength train. Um, it was slightly on the back burner. I need, I need time off feet. I need to get this done. So I think it was 2021. I had run like 16 or 1700 miles. Um, and last year I ran just over 2,500. So massive difference. You know, I was able to get out here and I was able to do 70 mile weeks. Um, and I ran six weeks at a hundred miles with four of those being a block put right together before world's toughest. So yeah. Wow. I have a genuine question here. Um, cause I struggle to find the answer to this myself. Um, as someone who focuses on ultras pretty much exclusively, as far as I understand it, uh, am I correct there? You're exclusively focused on ultras. Yeah. I got invited to the go ruck games, so I'm going to have some fun there. Um, but yeah, like, what I really want to excel at oh. is, is the ultra stuff. So I love it. That's going to be an experience. It, it'd be different. Yeah. Yeah. For um, sure. uh, uh, you're going to suffer in a very different way. Um, well, my question is, as someone who's focused on ultras, how do you gauge your improvement? Obviously on the race course, you can say, look, I've done better than previous, but it's harder to gauge improvement I feel like when you're training for ultras, because sometimes you almost don't feel like, you know, until you're in the race and you're like, Oh, it's, it worked or, Oh, it didn't like, how do you gauge your improvement? Um, other than just looking at overall volume. Yeah. So I was going to, I was just going to mention the volume, right? Like the work I can put in leading into the race, right? Like mm. I, I was, I was snuffed out at 30, at 30 miles a week at run point. Right. And then snuffed out again at 50. So being able to string together 400 mile weeks, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. You know, like I I'm durable at the moment. I'm not real fast. I ran a 5k, uh, let's call it six weeks before that. And I ran my PR of 1749. And that was like a 30 second PR. And like that PR came from just, just volume, a little bit of speed work running, like we're going to work out Wednesdays here, hitting some six fifteens on a little bit of a downhill, but yeah. Um, to say, to gauge, to gauge your improvement it, for me, it, it, it comes on on race day i'll do some big workouts right like my, my last really big effort before world's toughest uh 2022 uh, two mile warm-up five miles at 615 pace and then five back up to the start four miles four up three 
three up, you know? Um, so that ended up being a 30 mile workout with 15 miles at effort. And I was running through one of the, like the effort of four. I'm like, I look over at Anthony and I chuckle a little bit and he's like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, dude, it's easy today. It's, you know, so you got those days too. Um, and then reps three, two, that's quite a workout. It was, it was no longer easy. It, 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 it was no longer free, but yeah, like that. I'm like, okay, I, I put the work in all year. I tested it once, like really aggressively. And uh, that was three weeks out from WTM. And it's there. I'm ready to roll. Who came up with that workout? Five, four, three, two, one. Me. You? Yeah, me. I heard, uh, yeah, I've heard people like talk about it on smaller scales, but I'm like, yeah, uh, let's try a big one. I got one more long run for the year. Let's see what happens. I want some overspeed for world's toughest. I know I'm going against everybody is showing up this year. Um, let's, let's gauge the fitness a little bit. So yeah. Wow. It was a big day on feet. It's hurt a little bit. <laughs> it's impressive. Screw, screw minutes. Let's just change those minutes for this ladder to miles. Let's who needs five, four, three, two, one minutes. Let's that's for ninnies. It was that's a big impressive. one. Um, yeah. then that was like, uh, like another test in the middle of that was it was all, it was fasted and it wasn't fueled. Right. So that was another big gauge to say, I, I can, I can hold on. Wait, that 30 mile workout was fasted and unfueled. Yeah. So just to show myself that my needs are little, um, but I know I can eat on race day. So, wow. That's yeah. a powerful feeling to bring into race day. Oh, it was great. It was so, it was more confidence building than anything. Are you a part of the fat adapt, fat adapted crowd? Yeah. Most of the time, most of the time, not right now going in to go ruck. I'm like, I'm smashing, I'm smashing carbohydrates and, you know, I'm doing what I need to do to fuel for my strength and my intensity. But most of last year, I would say I was a low carbohydrate athlete, right? And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm no carb. I'm not in ketosis probably ever. I'll do a hard reset, like a keto reset. I did one once last once last year, and that consisted I, I pulled carbs out entirely. Um, felt pretty good for like two days. Felt like actual, like at absolute dog crap for like four to five days and like slowly dug myself out of the hole and, and, and eventually felt good and then slowly trickled them back in. But most of the year I'd say like my rule rule is like, just eat my carbs at dinner, you know, just let my insulin stay pretty level throughout the day and just have the one big spike towards the end. Hmm. And carbs are like, I'll eat like a cup of rice or a sweet potato, right? So it's still pretty minimal. Yeah. Then race day, you give it all to you and your body pops, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I I, just, I need to ideally I can fuel off of like you, you've heard the story your own fat stores right and I know it's a it's like a, a finicky polarizing conversation um, but you know then the ability to go out and do that thirty mile run with intensity not fasted and unfueled I'm like that's that told me a lot right so I think I'm doing things well um, and I eat the carbs when I need them you know yeah that makes sense. I think those are the two big things. What are you training towards? 24 yeah, exactly. hours is different than training for a 50K, you know? Mm -hmm. And then that you're willing to eat them when needed. That's very important yep. for, for people to understand. Yeah. And then, like, when I raced, I had, you know, I think it was, I have to look at the numbers again, but it was around 9,000 calories of just pure sugar uh, for the world's <laughs> toughest, you know? So, 
it's there. It's like you, you <laughs> like the idea is like you're training and you're adapting, right? And then you're racing and you're optimizing. So can you take the training and, and become the fat adapted athlete, right? And then can you take that and harness it and then stack the the fast burning carbohydrate fuel source on top of it on race day? So you had your debut at World's Toughest Mudder, took third place, had, in your words, a pretty comfortable kind of a perfect race maybe not perfect but everything went your way outside of you know those little hiccups that every race has then you stack on volume you hit your 70s your 80s you string together back to back to back to back 400 or, uh, four by 100 mile weeks you hit a 30 mile quality effort fasted and unfueled and you bring in a new level of fitness and confidence to your second attempt at world's toughest now, very often, the first big race you do, first big ultra, first overnight or whatever, you're carried through on beginner's naivety, excitement, yeah. whatever. <laughs> if it goes really well the first time, sometimes that second one is really opposite. What was your experience like on round two? Yeah, round two um, was much more grueling. Um So everybody went out at record pace this year. I don't know if they did last year or not, but I ran a my first marathon was just over three and a half hours of this race. And like, I don't know how far under three hours I could come in a normal marathon as of right now. Right. So it's like, is that enough grace is like 30 to 40 minutes. Did you, <laughs> did you leave enough there? But I mean, uh, I thought I was running comfortable and then, <clears throat> you know, let's say I hit like the 50 K mark and I'm like, Oh man, my legs are, unwell right now i'm i'm start i already started cramping a little bit i've got this like every time really? you land it's just like yeah just a little bit you know uh, first sign of it i went okay change of pace change of direction now, like let's let's figure things out now it's time to really listen and just run my run my race i was running and i was running my race i was, I was comfortable in a sense but it's like race day right and everybody's moving quick around you you feel good until you don't um right. and i would say yeah, I had, so I started to get some pain in my quads, like 50, 50 K into that thing. And I'm like, all right, so maybe I burned it a little too hot. Maybe today's not my day. Maybe, maybe Kirk was right. DJ's going to go out hot and, <laughs> and die home. Um, so yeah, just, I didn't say I heard that. it. I heard it. It's, it's, uh, it's recorded. It's out there. Um, it's all right. It's good. Like you said, it's receipts. I take that stuff. You, you're going to have a hard time offending me in a sense, right? Like, I was like, okay, let's prove people wrong. It's fun. It's, it's like one of my, it's like one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I start to think I, I, I went out a little too quick and I, I, now I've got to start now I'm problem solving and I'm problem solving for the rest of the day. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm moving too slow. I'm never going to, not my day. I, I played this one wrong. Right. And I just don't pay attention to anything around you. Put your head down and go. And that quad pain never got much worse, I'll say, right? Um, but it, it never got any better. It was just like small twinges for like the next like, I don't know, what was it, like 16 hours at that point, maybe, maybe even more, right? From, if I have my time frames exact. Uh, yeah, so and then, again, the weather was vastly different this time around. The high was 56 and the low I think was 30 degrees and there was much more water the grip obstacles were a little bit more intensive it was a significantly harder course I'll say this year compared to last year um and I just I I just made the promise with myself again this time going into it 
if there's time on the clock, you're moving, right? That's all you can do. So don't worry about anything that happens around you. I didn't peek at the leaderboards for the entire time. I think until like maybe like close to 20 hours in, I was running by and I take a look up and Javier's like, hey, eyes forward. What are you looking up there for? And I'm like, oh shit, I'm in fourth place. Like, I, I didn't know. And then I'm like, okay, Ian Kasky and then Mark Gaudet and Tyler Veerman. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just keep running. People are falling off. It's, it's not easy out here. And if I just stay consistent, who knows, right? So just keep going. And then on that lap, found Ian out on course. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm in a podium. I'm in podium contention now. Like, it's getting serious, right? So things are things are bothersome, but now, like now I'm now I'm racing, right? Like I'm now I'm in it, and it's like there's only a few hours left. Time's gonna tick. This thing's almost done. Let's just burn it up, see what happens. Uh, so I put in. I would like to say I think like I picked up the effort a little bit, right? And then I eventually, I'm running around, I find... Yeah, it's tough to call it a surge. Yeah. But it sure feels like it. Can I surge for the next four hours? No, unlikely, right? But it's like, can I just like engage myself a little bit more, right? And it's just like make everything intentional, you know? So that's all. Just like, don't, don't let yourself fall too loosely on this thing, right? Like, it's a race now. Like, it, it hasn't been all day in a sense, but, but now, now it is. So I think if we go back real quick, like... I broke into the top 10 somewhere around the 12 hour mark. Um, I broke into the top five somewhere around the 20 hour mark. And then I broke into the top three shortly after that, like, you know, within, within the next few hours. So, and then I think two laps after that, um, I'm, you get your leader bib on. I, I get to wear mine like for the, I think I got to wear it for three laps. So coming into lap 20, that hundred, hundred, oh no, 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 sorry, 19. Um, me and Mark come across the finish line 10 seconds apart, if that. And I saw his, I saw the yellow jersey, the leader bib, and I just like, all right, it's time to be a, an absolute animal, right? Like it's time it's time to dog it and and see who who wants to be out here right now. And I was hurting, you know, I'm hurting bad, but you just don't show these signs, right? It's like you don't you don't show the weakness, not in front of people. You just get out there, you put your head down, you go. So I quick pitted, I got in, I took my bottle. I took my Morton gel and I think I had took two miniature Snickers and I eat the Snickers right away. I start running off. I'm out of the pit within like, you know, 90 seconds and I run up and then I get over the first, I get to the top of Mutterhorn, which is their three story A-frame. And I look back and I'm like, oh, he didn't leave yet. Nice. Like there's the big slide, get to jet out the bottom of that. I'm running up the hill. I get over the, the big warped wall they have. Um, Everest, right? And I come across the side of that and I finally see him coming up from behind Mutterhorn. So I'm like, okay, he's here. It's like, now I'm going to run like you are right on my heels, right? Like, I don't know if the dude's going to drop seven minute miles all of a sudden or something, right? So I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to get to work. Because he could. You never know with him. I'm No, no idea. You don't know with anybody. So I eventually, so this is kind of how it went. I was in fourth place. I look behind me. I see Josh Fiore. And I'm like, uh-uh, you're not catching me no way uh, like you're not you're not taking this spot from me right so i'm running scared from josh and running scared from josh i catch mark i finally catch mark and i'm i see him i'm running scared from mark i'm like i i got second place you're not taking this you're gonna we're gonna work if you're gonna take this thing from me like one we're gonna be in bad shape at the end of this right like this is all i thought about for the entire year um i'm gonna die out here trying to to have my best day 
right? Um, so I'm running from Mark. And then on that same lap, um, I catch Tyler. Um, he was, I think he was pretty beat up at that point. He was coming in for his hundredth mile. Um, and that was, again, like the, these promises we make with ourselves. Like he told himself before the race, he's like, I'm going to go out and run a hundred. He got to, to just before a hundred and, and his race had ended at that point. Right. And my promise was if there's time on the clock, I'm going right. So I, I scoot by Tyler and he didn't have his leader bim on at the time. I just saw Veerman on the back and I'm like, wasn't he winning? And I'm like, I'm kind of like a little bit mind blown myself right now. I'm like, dude, who's winning? Who's winning? You know, I'm like trying to figure this thing out. I'm like, dude, I'm winning. Like, let's go. I'm like, you're not catching me. I, I take off and I'm actually starting to like, I'm moving pretty good at this point, you know, uh, to the point where if you're going to run with me, we're going to be running, right? Like I've got, I've got it in the tank and I'm, if it's there, I'm using it. Today's the day. This is every, like, this is everything I've thought about for the past 12 months. So yeah. Um, I had had a conversation with someone previously. I'm like, for better or worse, I thought about this race more than anybody towing the start line today. You know, I thought about this moment. So I'm just running away from Tyler and Mark. I pit again, another quick pit, bottle, gel, Snickers, and I'm off, right? And I, I don't see him. I don't see anybody. Um, yeah, and again, I'm just running like like you're right on my heels. I don't – he could take off, man, if he's like – I was like, you know? Because in that format, it's like – you, you likely still have something like you likely still have something that you can give. Um, but like how, how willing are you to put it out and to go there? Right. So I'm running for Mark cause, or I, I don't know. I, I, I anticipated him passing Tyler based off of how Tyler looked and Mark was still running. And then there's this one crossing where the, the loop actually, you can see the you can see somebody going out while you're coming back in. Right. Um, and going out, it's at two miles and coming back in, it's like just over three and a half miles. And I was coming around that corner and I saw Mark up in the woods and I just like, I was like, so now I'm, a, I'm at least a mile and a half ahead on the, the last lap, no time left. And I just find the first person next to me and I give him a big hug, <laughs> shake him up a little bit. I'm like, I won, I won. Like you won. Like, dude. Yeah. Like help me under this last cargo net so we can get to the finish. You know? And he's like, Oh, of course, you know, and everybody's the best in that event. Um, and then I just go, okay, hold on, hone it in. It's still got to get to the finish line, right? Like don't fucking twist your ankle or anything stupid. Be careful. Take your time. But again, I don't know if, what if he just starts hammering again? I'm not going to walk this thing and I'm going to run it in. Yeah. And come across the finish line, 24 hours. And I forget the exact time frame here, but like 17 minutes and it ended up at hour 23 tied with second place and at our 24 17 40 minutes ahead of second so just yeah don't give it don't give it an inch you know and somebody oh, i was i had the goosebumps had the conversation. over here dude it was i don't know it's everything i've ever tried for everything i ever worked for and, and and we made it happen dude i still look at at my championship babe and i'm like i've i don't know i got it done i don't I don't know what to say or to think, but we did it and it's working out. So let's, let's carry on. But man, like Kirk said, try, you never know. You never know. You said something there at the end, like there's probably, you probably have something left. You know, we come from the track world where everything has been explored. People know that if you're running faster than four minute pace in a one mile race, people can't really close faster than 50, 51 seconds. Like, you know, that 
if you're running slower than that, someone could crack. But if you're running 350 pace, people really can't close faster faster than 53 or 54 seconds. It's just there's 100 years of humans precisely emptying the tank at a precise Mm -hmm. distance. But there is very, very little track record history and research of at the 20 to 22 hour and 22 to 24, what happens if you try to breach VO2 max? Like what happens if you try to close in six minutes? There's just very few examples of that. And, and I loved hearing you say that because it's right that there are people who will shy away from that. And there are people who are going to look at that with excitement, which your optimism that you said earlier, until I see it finally never happen, I assume it's not impossible. And at hour 24, it still hasn't yet been proved to you that you can't run six flat. Whereas someone else would say it'd be dumb to try. It can't. Mm -hmm. I think if you, like I wasn't running six flats by any means. Right. But I think if it was a, if it was a race there and it was like neck and neck, I, I think I still, I had more even. Right. But like, if I don't want to take away from anything that anybody else did on that day. Right. But if you look, there's a video of me after the race immediately. Right. So I crossed the finish line. I celebrate and then peg like to dude can't do anything. I go, I sit in a chair, I collapse. I can't stand on my own. I can't do anything. There's a video of my friends helping me to get to the porta potty and I'm hunched over at like 90 degrees with them carrying me. And I'm just kind of barely shuffling my feet along. And I was like that for like almost for well over 24 hours. You know, and you know, people are competing the next weekend, and I didn't have that. I, I burned that. I burned it all. You know, there was, there wasn't much left at the end of those twenty-four hours, right? So, I wanted it. <laughs> That's all. I wanted it bad. A theme with, a theme with both your twenty twenty-one race and your twenty twenty-two race is that you you weren't racing until you were racing. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that is the appropriate way to run 100 miles is to not race it until or unless it is time to race it? Because that seems to be working out okay on your end. Yeah, so it's not a 100-mile race. It's a 24-hour race, right? So and that's a big difference. Um, I would... Like, again, with how grueling 2022 was to 2021. Um, so I, I ran 120, uh, sorry, 105 miles in 2021 with time to do 110. Got out on course for that last loop, 86 degrees. Realized I was the only idiot moving still. And I found my way to the water pit and I just took the jug off the counter and I just started sipping until they, they kicked us off course. Right. So that was potentially a 110 mile year. I think if we go back to that course, um, I'm, I'm like, this was 120 mile performance on a comparable course. Right. So again, it's not a hundred mile race. It's a 24 hour race. Right. And you can't play defense in this sport. If you're thinking about what other people are doing early on, you're making a mistake in my eyes. Right. You just have to go out there and do the best you possibly can. Like you, if you want to race, for the win or for the podium it's like can you let somebody lap you two times um can you make that up like i don't know like those are those are things that i have i have yet to come across and i haven't had to think about yet but i think my best effort here is still going to be based off of my promise of myself to 
move as well as I can for that full time. And then if it comes down to the nitty gritty, you better have a dog in you to, 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 to run with me in those last few hours. So see if you can answer me this then. I know there was a period of time in which you mentioned Mark Godet and you were moving away from him. And on the last lap, you, you guys came across the lap about the same time. And then a few miles later, you're a mile and a half ahead of him, right? Mark Godet is a seasoned ultra runner. He has run 15 flat in the 5K in recent years. So two minutes and 45 seconds faster than your recent time trial. Isn't that wild? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's raced more than you have. And longer than you have. He's done everything on paper that would make this a no-brainer as to who's going to finish first between the two of you, even if it comes down to the very end. So I want you to try to answer for me why were you better than them and faster than them at the end of the race? What is it about DJ Fox that made you crush those fools? Um. When on paper, it makes no sense. Desire, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't going to quit. There's not, I was going to give everything I had. Um, and if you weren't, then you weren't going to take it. I don't like, like I said, I hate to take anything for, away from anybody else. Right. Mark is a badass dude and he's one of the nicest people I've talked to as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's a hard question to answer. But I, again, if you, I like to take that comparison at the end. Like if you look at, this my status my physical being after the race and everybody else's i was i'm pretty sure i was significantly worse off so i i allowed myself to to be more abused and i think that's a big part of it the ultra world the ultra world has really changed in the last five or six years where it used to be 50ks you weren't allowed to race for the first hour or so you had to mm -hmm. ease into it and then the really fast marathoners came over and they ruined that rule. And then 50 mile yeah. was the new distance. Like you got to ease into that. And Jim's Jim Walmsley came around and he broke that rule. And then he broke it at the hundred mile distance as well. Where now at the high level, 50 miles and hundred miles and hundred Ks, you have to commit to the race experience pretty early in it's aggressive, but then you still watch UTMB where as soon as you have to go overnight, uh, the, the race changes like that hundred mile distance has become a race and the overnight, that 24 hour still has some survival aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you watched any of UTMB this year, there's a really good race, uh, a series of videos on it, uh, by, I think that, I don't know who put it out. Uh, maybe Zwift put it out about Walmsley, but he basically decided to hold back this year. And he made a decision to race when he thought Killian was cracking. And it was just like one climb too soon. And he smoked his legs. And then everyone else waited longer to start racing. And and to me, it's kind of like a... It seems relieving to the everyone else in the world that you can't yet just peg it the whole time. Even at the highest level of the biggest race on the planet, you can't yet do that. And so... If I were you initially, I would have been looking at this like, Gaudette's over here, Veerman's over here. All these people who are very, very accomplished in clean courses are coming over here, and they're going to race the same way, and halfway through the race, they're doing it. And it still came true that, like you said, it's not 100 miles, it's 24 hours. And that has to just be like really empowering for next year and the year after, knowing that 
They haven't proven it on clean courses for 24 hours yet, so it definitely won't apply here yet. Yeah, there's so many variables in World's Toughest Motor, right? Like, you're... <laughs> The obstacles open on a rolling basis. You're running what you think is this comfortable, really educated pace, let's call it. You're like, oh, yeah, I could do this all day, right? And then the grip obstacle opens, and now you slap, you stopped a little bit, and your blood's going other places, right? And it gets cold, and now are you taking the calories in to compensate for how cold it just got, right? And it's just like the little things that are adding up, like in the middle of the night something hurts. You're 18 hours in, and it's like, damn, like, do I, how do I get out of this? Right. In a sense, right. Like I had a conversation with somebody else before, like, what is it? Like, what was your darkest thought in the race? And I'm like, well, I could roll my ankle right now and I could get the hell off course. You know, like that's, that's stuff that pops up here and there. It's like there's outs and you might think about them. And and I think that's one really good thing. Um, I really tried to like make a steel trap of my mind. Right. Like when I couldn't run all these miles, um, in training, you know, I was, I was, doing the David Goggins work. I was doing the Cam Haynes work where it's just discomfort. You know, I'm, I'm outside, I'm running through the night with a shirt on with a, without a shirt on in training in like snowstorms. just like, I just need to be tough. I'm not fast. I need to be tough and I need to be gritty and maybe one day I'll be fast, but we all have our strengths. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be fast in a sense, right? Like I start, I got a lot faster last year and I have intentions of, of building speed behind all this durability this year and going into this event even more dangerous next time. Um, but we, my strength is never going to be getting out and, and beating somebody off the, off the line. Right. If you want to watch the race with me, it's tune in the last six hours. Yeah. Well, speed's all relative. You go long enough. It, it turns into what speed do you have left now? Mm-hmm. And you're in a good event for that. Ryan, we did a whole episode a couple of months ago based off one Ryan Kent quote he said at one point, which was the difference between volume, high volume and low volume is high volume gives you wiggle room for when a race goes sideways. Okay. And that kind of sounded like your difference between 2021 and 2022. When you started getting quad twinges at 50K and you have 70 more miles to go, your volume was the thing that allowed it not to derail. Yep. And so, yeah, you don't have to win mile 30. You have to win mile 110. Yeah. The finish line count is, is the portion of the race that counts, right? So if you can just stay within striking distance, there's a chance. Like <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to be there hours 23 to 24, that last lap. Nobody, nobody really, really, really wants to be there, right? Like you're ready for this thing to be over. You're in pain. You're tired. It's uncomfortable. So that's, that's my moment to shine. Let's go. I'm here. Remember following along and four hours in, you were in 20th place. Six hours in, you were in 17th place. It's like you just got to keep your head down and run your race, as you said. Um, I don't mean to nip this conversation, but I'm running a tight schedule today. So um, so we got to wrap this up, unfortunately. But I do want to know, um, I mean, I can take some guesses, but one of them should come out of your mouth. What, uh, what are your intentions here in 2023? What are your plans moving forward? Yeah. So I'm, I'm taking two things as a races. I'm going to go wreck. Um, and I'm putting my head down and I'm working towards that. I think it's a really good opportunity mm. for me to build. Oh, you're treating that seriously. I like it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think, I think I can do well in that. Right. It's a two day event, you know, 
there's a lot of grit involved in something like that. I just have to make sure I have like the anaerobic capacity that I haven't really touched in a while. So I'm, I'm, I'm paying my dues there. I'm doing a lot of good strength work. Um, you know, I'm, I'm rucking, I'm doing all these stair climbing workouts with heavy packs on and I'm taking it serious. So I got two races, go ruck. Um, and I, I think the format of it is actually fairly like if, if I can, if I can handle the high intensity strength workouts, um, yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll do well there, you know, and, and I'm treating it like I'm going to the final eight. I had my first grappling session yesterday in a long time, got my butt kicked by a bunch of people. So, oh yeah, we're, we're in, I'm, I'm I've got one of my buddies, he's got a, a really big wrestling background. So we're, you know, pretending we're giraffes. I got a nice sore neck today. We're practicing head position and just like basic fundamentals i'm going into that thing with eyes wide open man until i don't get it done i can get it done in my eyes so um blind faith i operate on quite often and then world's toughest is the real like the a plus race for me that's that's where my heart and soul lies and you'll find me there again and no promises right but um i i intend on being better than i was in in 22 so I hope I hope everybody shows up again. Are there any other places people can see you throughout the year? Are you going to do some tune-ups if people want to get a crack at DJ? <laughs> yeah, somewhere <laughs> along the, the lines. Yeah, come bluff your ego at any other distance. Um, <laughs> I've got. <laughs> I'll be. <laughs> I'll be in in Arizona next month. There's a Spartan race, um, 10k and 5k. I think I'll, I'll be racing both days. And Durley has a booth there, so I'll, I'm also I'll be. I'll be doing booth stuff after the race. Um, and then after that, it's go ruck in April. I'll be at the Colorado Springs Spartan Beast. And I'll be at the 8-Hour Infinity uh, Tough Mudder in Colorado Springs in July. And that is my calendar so far. Yeah, besides that, nice. it's training. Yeah, putting working. And is Durango your new home? Should we expect to see all your... Uh... Uh, all the future uh, happening there for now yeah yeah until further notice this is it i'm i am 30 years old i am taking every chance i have to be good at this for right now right there's a i don't know what mine is but there's a time cap on these things so i'm putting all my chips in i'll be here and this is a good spot for it ultra house durango man it, it's been very very powerful for me up until now well, DJ, I said this when we talked to Katie Knight, and I said it to Chris Roglowski when we talked to them. But they both won world championships on a very accelerated timeline, and they're just building out their skill set now. And I'm going to say it again to you. Hearing you talk is bad news for the rest of the field. It's the exact same thing I felt listening to them, which is, you're a decade behind, and you have a title. That is not good news for the rest of the people in the field as you drop from 18 to 17 in a 5K and as you go from 17 to 16 and as you round out your obstacle uh, fluidity. and It's just not good news for everyone because you have the piece that can't be taught and you're going to pick up the rest. And I'm really excited to watch what happens. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think I've got a lot of growing to do still. So, Where can people follow along with you? Your journey? Yeah, I'm on primarily on instagram handle is at d-e-e underscore j-a-y underscore f-o-x dj fox that's where you'll find me for the most part uh we also just launched a website for ultra house um 
I have, I literally don't know the actual link off itself right now. So um, maybe we could we could include it in into the uh, the caption here. But yeah, so we got a website there, and it's, you can find a lot of what we're doing as a household there. So um, fresh launch yesterday, everything's looking good. Um, if you if you come across anything that needs touching up, obviously feel free to to let us know so we can revise. But primarily on Instagram, that's where you'll see me. It's where I've got my training, you know, daily life stuff and. I don't hide anything. There's no secrets out here. So you want to see what it looks like to, for me to, to get to where I've gotten to and to see where I'm going. That's where you'll find me. It's all there. Thank you so much, DJ. Yeah. I appreciate it guys. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks for the chat. Mm-hmm.